Let's open the Word of God. Uh, if you're joining us today for the first time, we are going through a series on Abraham. Abraham lived probably about 4,000 years ago. Uh, we've been going through his life from the book of Genesis. The book of Genesis is the first book of the Bible. Our main passage today is going to be from chapter 19, verses 1 through 11. If you're using a blue Bible from the center of the table, it's on page 11. But there's another passage that we're going to be looking at also. And that is 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 through 10. And that is on page 1,121. So we're there at the beginning of the book. And we're there at the end of the book. And the reason that I'm doing two passages for today and actually for the next three weeks is because... Peter, in the second passage, he tells us some things about Abraham that we, or I'm sorry, he tells us some things about Abraham's nephew, Lot, who's the main character of our story today. He tells us some things about uh, about Lot that we probably would not know if Peter wouldn't have written these things down. So Peter lived 2,000 years after Abraham did, but God was using Peter to write scripture and to teach us the truth. And so we're going to take what Peter says is true because it's in the Word of God. And it's going to bring some light into a very awkward and difficult passage. So these are the two patches. We'll we'll take some time to read these in a few moments. But I want to start with this. At Hope Fellowship, we place a very high value on Scripture. The majority of our teaching, we go verse by verse. Through the whole scripture. And we want to preach the whole counsel of God. And we believe that all scripture, even difficult passages like the one I'm teaching on today, all of it was given to us by God. All of it was inspired by God. And and therefore, all of it, as Paul wrote to Timothy, is useful and profitable for teaching, for doctrine, for reproof and correction, and for training in righteousness. In addition to this, we do not keep silent about issues that are difficult or culturally sensitive or divisive. We believe that Scripture is very clear on things that people outside of the church say, oh no, those things aren't so clear. And sometimes in some churches you'll find people that say, oh no, they're not so clear. But, but we say yes, the things that I'm going to teach on today are clear in the Scripture. And it is not different from one person to another. We do not believe that one group of people gets to have a truth and that a separate or a a second group of people gets to have a different truth. I don't believe that what's true for y'all at this table is different from what's true for y'all at this table. But we believe that there's one truth. We believe that God is truth. And we believe that all truth flows from Him. And truth and morality, what's right and wrong, doesn't come from us. It doesn't flow from us. We don't get to decide it. And it doesn't flow from the world that we live in. So we are going to spend four weeks in chapter 19. If you try to take a single sermon during these next four weeks and separate it from the other three, you're going to miss out on some things. But if you take the next four sermons together, you will see the greatness of God. You will see God's sovereignty. You will see His majesty. You will see His holiness. You will see His righteousness and His justice. But we are also going to see His mercy. And all of these different things 
work together. And we're going to see a lot that points us ahead to the coming day of the Lord where we will all be judged based on how we live our lives. And when you take chapter 19 together, what we're going to see, some today, but especially next week, is we're going to see God's mercy given to us. And we're going to see that Jesus Christ has come in obedience to the Father and that He has provided salvation for us through His life, His death, and His resurrection. So what we're going to do is we're going to read uh, Genesis 19, verses 1 through 11. And what we usually do here is we, I'll read it, and then y'all will take a few minutes to read it silently to yourself so you can get familiar with it. And then we usually have a discussion, but due to the subject matter of today's uh, topic, we're not going to have any discussion. We have children in the room, and I want our children to have these conversations with their parents. So I I think that's important for today. So at this time, I would like to read Genesis 19, verses 1 through 11. The two angels came to Sodom in the evening. And Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. When Lot saw them, he rose to meet them and bowed himself with his face to the earth and said, My lords, please turn aside to your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet. Then you may rise up early and go on your way. They said, No, we will spend the night in the town square. But he pressed them strongly. So they turned aside to him and entered his house. And he made them a feast and baked unleavened bread, and they ate. But before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both young and old, all the people to the last man surrounded the house, and they called to Lot, Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may know them. Lot went out to the men at the entrance, shut the door after him, and said, I beg you, my brothers, do not act so wickedly. Behold, I have two daughters who have not known any man. Let me bring them out to you and do to them as you please. Only do nothing to these men, for they have come under the shelter of my roof. But they said, stand back. And they said, this fellow came to sojourn and has become the judge. Now we will deal worse with you than with them. Then they, I'm sorry, then they pressed hard against the man Lot and drew near to break the door down. But the men reached out their hands and brought Lot into the house with them and shut the door. And they struck with blindness the men who were at the entrance of the house, both small and great, so that they wore themselves out, groping for the door. Now let's turn to the end of our Bibles, to Second Peter 2. I'm going to read our second passage. Verses 14 through 16. 2 Peter 2, verse 4. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment, if he did not spare the ancient world but preserved Noah, a herald or messenger of righteousness with seven others, when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly, if by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, he condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly, and if he rescued righteous Lot, Greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked, for as that righteous man lived among them day after day, he was tormenting his righteous soul over their lawless deeds 
that he saw and heard. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment, and especially those who indulge in the lust of defiling passion and despise authority. We'll stop there. So what I'd like you to do is take four to five minutes, read that first passage once or twice to yourself, and then read that second passage once or twice to yourself. And the reason we do that is because we want everyone to have personal experience and interaction reading the Word of God yourself. And we believe that God speaks through His Word. So take a few minutes and do that, and I'll come back and uh, we'll dive more deeply into it shortly. All right, let's begin. So, two angels in Genesis 19, two angels come to stay with a man named Lot. I'll read the first three verses. The two angels came to Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. When Lot saw them, he rose to meet them and bowed himself with his face to the earth and said, My lords, please turn aside to your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet. Then you may rise up early and go on your way. They said, No, we will spend the night in the town square. But he pressed them strongly, so they turned aside to him and entered his house. And he made them a feast and baked unleavened bread, and they ate. So two angels show up to his house. That's pretty exciting, isn't it? Well, before we dive too deeply into this, it would be helpful to think about where they're coming from. It would be helpful to remember... And realize what just happened in chapter 18. At the beginning of chapter 18, these two angels and God himself showed up to Abraham's house. And Abraham prepared him a feast, offered him hospitality, kind of like what you see here in this passage. God told Abraham, Abraham was Lot's uncle. And God had made a lot of promises to Abraham uh, that, that are very important to understanding the Bible. And... and, and Anyway, Lot and Abraham loved each other dearly, but they lived far away from one another, and they had had some, a, a few differences in the past. But God told Abraham, your wife Sarah is going to have a son in the year, which is a pretty extraordinary, wonderful thing if you consider all that had happened in Abraham's life. And then the two, these two angels, they left the conversation. And God told Abraham... I'm going to destroy the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah because of their wickedness and because of how evil they are. And chapter 19 kind of gives us a lot of details in that. We'll see much more about that in the next two weeks. And Abraham said, But God, if you find 50 righteous people in there, will you spare the city? And God said yes. And Abraham kind of negotiated with him a little bit. (laughs) I use that term loosely. And eventually he said, if there are ten people that are found righteous, will you spare the city and not destroy it? And God agreed. He said, yes, if, you, if, if there are ten people there, I will not destroy it. And that was at the end of chapter 18. Well, these two angels, when they left Abraham and God, they came to the city to see for themselves what was actually going on. So they come, they... they Lot saw him as they came in, as he entered into the town. And he says, come stay with me. Let me feed you. Let me take care of you. And they said, no, we're just going to stay out in the town square. You know, we'll, thank you for your hospitality, but it's not necessary. 
In that day and age, hospitality was much more important and it was a much bigger part of people's lives than it is today. Here in America, we've industrialized the service or the ministry of hospitality as something people pay for instead of something that we give to other people freely. And that's, for the most part, that's not a good thing. But in other parts of the world, hospitality is still practiced like this. We have a a niece who married um, a, a few years ago, a man named Dylan. And Dylan, before they got married, was stationed in Afghanistan. And he said the people in Afghanistan were incredibly hospitable. Some of them hated him because he was American, but many of them were very hospitable and were willing to do anything they wanted to for him. We have friends that live in northern Iraq. We're actually going to see them later this week on our trip, but they're in Virginia right now with uh, the wife's parents. And we go back with them in a couple decades, but uh, they live in northern Iraq. And when someone shows up to their home, and this happens a few times a week, everything that they're doing has to stop. They get the tea started, and they host them for as long as they want to stay. That'd be hard. That'd be difficult. But hospitality in those parts of the world and in this day and age is different from how it is today. So it says that two angels showed up, and Lot hosted them in. And, but, but who are these two angels? In chapter 18, the Bible calls them men. It does that early on in chapter 18. It does that in chapter 18, verse 22. But here it says they're angels. And later on in chapter 19, verses 5, it says that the people of the city recognized them as men. And later on in verses 10 or 11, they did some almost superpower type stuff that, that people can't do. Now, angels aren't superheroes. But they had the divine power of God, and they were able to do some things that man can't do in his own strength. So what are they? Are they men or are they angels? Well, the Bible teaches in a number of places that it's actually pretty normal. It's pretty regular, pretty common for angels to take the form of men. Hebrews chapter 13 says, don't forget to show hospitality to strangers. For some who have done this have entertained angels without realizing it. And angels are messengers from God. They are workers from God, and they are sent to do things on the earth for God's people and also to bring judgment. And there's a few other things here and there that they do. But mostly they serve God's people and they bring judgment when God wants them to do so. So verses one through three, it's a little bit about what happened. They come into the house, they eat, Lot takes care of them. We get to verse four, and and this is where, I I mean... this passage just gets pretty rough here. This is not a rated PG sermon in many ways. Verse 4. Before they lay down, that is the two angels and Lot and his family, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both young and old, all the people to the last man surrounded the house. And they called to Lot, where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may know them. Lot went out to the men at the entrance, shut the door after him, and said, I beg you, my brothers, do not act so wickedly. Okay? The Bible talks about sex. People say, you shouldn't talk about that in church. And I say, no, if it's in the book, it's okay to talk about it. We're going to talk about it. This stuff happens in our world today, and it happened in our world thousands of years ago. Children, if you have any questions about what I'm about to share with you, ask your parents later. If your parents aren't here, 
then ask the adults who invited you and brought you here today. But look in verse 7. It says, I beg you, my brothers, do not act so wickedly. The men of the city, every single one of them, wanted to have sex with the two men that came to stay with Lot. With the two angels in the form of men who came to stay with Lot. And Lot says, don't do this wicked thing. There is no scripture in the Bible that condemns homosexuality or says that it's wrong prior to this. Okay, This isn't something that Lot had that was written. But what Lot, at least to the best of our knowledge, but what Lot knew was that God had a design for the world. God had a purpose and a plan for how he made men and for how he made women and how they were to relate to one another. In Genesis 1, it says, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. In Genesis chapter 2, it says this. Then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Lot already knew that what the men of the city that he'd been living in for decades, he knew that what they were going about to do was wrong. Today, we, and I'm speaking generally here, I'm not speaking particularly to any one person here, but we no doubt have all been affected by these ideas It is hard for many in our world today to accept the fact that our creator, the one who sustains us and gives us everything we have, has placed limitations on us as to what is acceptable and appropriate and what is not. We must know that there is a purpose and an order in his creation and that there are consequences to our actions should we reject his purpose and his design And this is true for individuals, and this is true for nations. Now, some would say that what I am saying right now is hateful. And I say, no, it is not the case. When you tell someone that something is wrong, that doesn't mean you hate them. It actually, in many ways, it means that you love them. You know, in my house, I'm not perfect all the time. Sometimes my wife lovingly, honorably, respectfully says, Kyle, that's wrong. Kyle, you're thinking wrong, or Kyle, you shouldn't have done that. She doesn't hate me. She loves me. Okay? Now, now, I do that for my kids. And we in the church, do we not do that for each other? Just because we say homosexuality is wrong, it doesn't mean that we hate anybody. We reject that if we're accused of hating someone. It is not true. If you read Leviticus 18 and 20, you'll see more about what the Bible teaches about homosexuality. Some people will say... Well, God condemned homosexuality in the Old Testament, but the New Testament is a different thing. Our former president, Barack Obama, he said that this was early on in his presidency as he was changing his mind about many political things that touch on this issue. He just said, well, well, I go by the Sermon on the Mount. And if you read the Sermon on the Mount, it's very clear that God is accepting of, of anything that anyone tries to do. And I say, no, we reject that also. That is not what the Bible teaches Homosexuality is condemned in the Old Testament and is also condemned in the New Testament in a number of places. Let me read one of them to you. 1 Corinthians 6, 9. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? The unrighteous will not 
be in the kingdom of God. Paul continues to write, he says, Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. So there's what? Nine or ten different groups of people. And he's saying those people will not be a part of God's kingdom. They've rejected him as king. They do not live under his rule and reign. This is a serious matter. Homosexuality and all of those other sins are incompatible with God and his kingdom. But the good news is, Paul writes immediately after what I just read. He says, such were some of you. Some of you used to be those things, but God has changed you. So such were some of you, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And by the Spirit of God. And that is the work of salvation that God does in our life. I want to issue a few warnings. Okay, I'm guessing no one here has any problems with what I've just said. But there are some temptations for us as Christians as to how we relate to people who are homosexual. And and there, there, there are some Ways that we can sin against them that do not honor God. And I see these commonly within the church. First, I want you to protect your own mind. Do not let what you see on the TV be your standard for what you think is normal or for what you think is right. Do you watch more TV than you read the Bible? I would suggest flip-flopping that. Turn the TV off. You don't need to spend hours on it a day. Spend more time in the scripture. Grow in your knowledge of it. You will have joy in the presence of God as you grow in him. It is a worthwhile endeavor. I ask you to do it. My next warning is this. As church going people, we need to watch our attitude towards homosexuals. We can forget that we were sinners too. We can forget that all have sinned. And fallen short of the glory of God, as Paul teaches in Romans 3. We can forget what Paul writes in Ephesians 2, that once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. We can forget that we used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil. We can forget that all of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. And by our very nature, we were subject to God's anger just like everyone else. You all, we must not forget that if it were not for the sovereign mercy of God, we would still be lost in our sin and separated from him. We also need to realize that there may be a Christian here who is tempted with homosexual desires. I've known two Christian men who were tempted and they had homosexual desires, but they rejected those desires. They put their sin to death just like I put, I've never struggled with homosexual desires, but I've struggled with other desires that were sinful. Well, you know what I do now that I'm a Christian? I put those things to death. And these two men, they put those things to death. Uh, one of them was in ministry here many years ago. Some of you know who I'm talking about. The other one was a roommate of mine many years ago, one summer uh, when, while I was in college living uh, near Clearwater. We also must remember that there may be a brother or sister here today who once participated in homosexual activity. We need to remember that this is not one of those things 
that is so far removed from us that nobody in our lives has ever been affected by it. If you think that it's not next door or right down the road, you're wrong. It's here and it's present. Another form, another warning I want to issue is that there's a form of hypocrisy that exists in the church. You know, there can be two members of the church choir who are acting like they're married when they're not, and they're living the wrong way. And other members of the church choir know, and when they get there on Sunday, they all sit on the pews up front and they all sing as if everything is good. In the church, it is easy to speak strongly about some sin, but then to think some other sin is acceptable. And we say that we reject all sexual sin in all of its forms, whether it's pornography, whether it's lustful, whether it's lust, whether it's adultery, whether it's homosexuality. We reject them all. And we will not prefer one type of sin over another type of sin. And in this church, we will not allow someone to participate in one type of sin and then treat someone else differently because they gave in to the sin of homosexuality. We have to see it all as sin. And I know a ton of Christians who don't understand this. And it's very, very upsetting. And while it is true that the homosexual agenda in our nation poses very specific threats to our society and to the very fabric of our nation, we must realize that homosexual people are a lot like us. You know what? They're made in the image of God, just like we are. They are sinners, just like we used to be. And they need to believe the gospel. And they are our neighbor. And what did Jesus say about how you're supposed to treat your neighbors? It's a pretty important part of what he taught. Second greatest commandment. He said, love them. So let me ask you. Will you love in the appropriate way a homosexual person? Can you participate in the ministry of hospitality and have friendships with your enemies or with, your stra- with strangers who are in your life? Do you know any homosexuals or do you stay away from them as if they're not human? I know and have known many wonderful homosexual people. And I say to you, give them a chance. Step out of your comfort zone and welcome them into your life. And, and what do we do with sinners? We build relationships with them. And we are a witness to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as we do that, some of them will believe, some of them will not. But we live our lives the way that Jesus would. And we hang out with all kinds of people that are different from us. So, the men of the town are doing a very sick thing. We get to verse 8, and we see Lot's response. And this at least for me, is more upsetting than what we just read. It's more upsetting than what we just read. Here's what Lot said. And keep in mind, he's backed up against the door, and they're all around him. Okay, there's a mob. Behold, I have two daughters who have not known any man. Let me bring them out to you and and do to them as you please. Only do nothing to these men, for they have come under the shelter of my roof. But they said, stand back. And they said, this fellow came to sojourn which just means to stay with us. And he has become the judge. Now we will deal worse with you than with them. Then they pressed hard against the man lot and drew near to break the door down. So we saw Lot do a very good thing by inviting the men to stay with him. And and now we know why. (laughs) 
<laughs> now we know why he said, no, you ain't, you ain't going to stay in that public square. You're coming to my house. <laughs> I think Lot knew what was out there. I'm sure of it. But we see incredibly mixed up priorities when he offers his daughters. Second Peter 2.7, the second passage that we read today, it says that Lot was a righteous man. But you know what? Sometimes righteous people do stupid stuff. Raise your hand Amen. if you're a man or woman of God and you've done stupid things. Amen. Now, I'm, I'm going to guess that none of us have done anything this stupid, at least not since we've become a Christian. I don't say stupid much, but I might say it more today than I've ever said it in this sermon. This is one of the stupidest things I've ever seen a man of God do in the Bible. It's very upsetting. He put strangers before his own children. Don't we have wrong priorities sometimes? Amen. Some people have rightly pointed out that... I'm sorry. Some people have rightly pointed out that we don't know if Lot would have really done it or not. Was he really trying? Was he really planning to do it or was he just trying to buy some time? But I say that we don't know. And at best, that is purely speculative. But the scripture doesn't tell us. Here's what we do know. Here's what we do know from our passage today. And this is, I believe, the main application for what God wants us to see today as his people. We do know that in God's mercy, he rescued Lot from a very, very difficult situation. If you look in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 7, it says, If he rescued righteous Lot, greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked. For as that righteous man lived among them day after day, he was tormenting his righteous soul over their lawless deeds that he saw and heard. Verse 9, then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials. Are you a godly person? I tell you today, God knows how to rescue you. He knows how to save you. When, when you're backed up against a wall and you've got an angry mob of people that are opposed to you and what you believe in, who will be your salvation? Who is going to save you? Who is going to protect you? The Lord and the Lord alone. He's the only one. And even in the midst of Lot's stupidity and horrible backwards priorities, God is going to save Lot from this trial. Look at verse 10 and 11. It says, The men reached out their hands and brought Lot into the house with them and shut the door. And they, the angels, struck with blindness the men who were at the entrance of the house both small and great, so that they wore themselves out, groping for the door. Second Peter says that Lot was so upset with all the wickedness that was all around them. But in chapter 19, verses 10 and 11, God uses His angels to save Lot from that. Let me tell you, we live in a dark and evil world, do we not? And it seems like every year... Our society's changing a bit more. And our Supreme Court doesn't have as much regard for the Constitution as it used to. People in our world don't care about religious freedom as much as they used to. Our grandparents could count on the government protecting them. I don't think we can do that anymore. I don't think we can do that anymore. 
Over the last four or five years, I've seen Christians put, I believe wrongly, put so much trust in our government. If we elect Donald Trump, he will put conservative judges to make right decisions. Now, you know what? There's something to that that I totally agree with. But if that is your only hope, you know what's going to happen? You know what could happen? Is that one of those judges that he put up there in the last four years is going to side. He's going to take opposition to the Constitution. And that's what happened two weeks ago. I believe it was the first of the two nominees that he put on the Supreme Court. He did not protect religious liberty. Y'all, our world is changing and we can't count on our politicians to save us or to preserve our nation. They can't do it. There was idolatry in 2016 around Donald Trump. And if you voted for him, that's fine. I have no problem with that. That was not a sin. But it was a sin if you expect him to be the one to save you and to rescue you. Our constitutions and courts, our constitution and courts have protected us and given us the opportunity to speak freely about what we believe. But those days are changing. The constitution is not as important to our lawmakers and judges as it used to be. We can't expect other people to rescue us and protect us. We have brothers and sisters in Christ all over this world who can get in trouble for saying many of the things that I've already said today. And if you don't believe me, there's a map on the wall by the water cooler. And it shows you the different nations where people are hostile to Christianity and where there are laws that restrict Christians from speaking the truth. That day most likely is coming to our nation. Who will deliver us from this? I say verse I say the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials. God knows how to rescue us from trials. In verses 1 through 9, we saw much about the wickedness of man. In verses 10 and 11, we see a picture. We see like this this small little snapshot of a greater reality. We see God bring temporary short-term judgment on evil and sin. And we also see him bring temporary short-term mercy on a righteous person who wasn't acting so righteous. Isn't that good that God still has mercy on us when righteous people don't act so righteously? God is so gracious and he is so merciful. He is so loving towards us. God judged the wicked men of Sodom with blindness and he mercifully rescued Lot from harm. I believe that what we see in verse 10 and 11 connects heavily to what we're going to see over the next few Sundays. When I think about the judgment that the angels brought onto the evil, wicked men of Sodom, he took their sight away and they weren't able to do the evil things that they were trying to do. I think about the ultimate judgment that is coming. Did you know that you will stand before God one day and you will be judged based according to how you have lived your life? In 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 7, Paul is writing to Christians who are being persecuted. And he says this, he says, God will provide rest for you who are being persecuted and also for us when the Lord Jesus appears from heaven. He will come with his mighty angels in flaming fire. The Lord will return on the day of judgment with flaming fire. He will bring judgment on those who don't know God and on those who refuse to obey the good news of our Lord Jesus Christ. Did you know 
that you need to obey the good news. You need to obey the gospel. In Mark chapter 1, Jesus came preaching the kingdom of God. And he said, repent and believe the gospel. How do you obey the gospel? You believe it. You must believe it. And repentance will flow from that. But he's going to bring judgment on people who don't know God and those who refuse to obey the gospel. And it says they will be punished with eternal destruction. I believe that because God is infinite in holiness, because he's infinite in perfection and majesty and in righteousness, that the only way to punish someone rightly who rejects that is to do it for all eternity. And that is a hard truth. But those who don't know God don't go to hell for a little bit and then get to go to heaven. They don't go to hell for a little bit and then they're annihilated. No, they go to hell and they suffer in the flames of hell for all eternity. And and Paul goes on to say they are forever separated from the Lord and from his glorious power. That'll be the worst thing about hell. Not that you're burning for all eternity, but that you're separated from God and all of his goodness and all of his glorious power. So ultimate judgment is coming. And we see what the angels did to the men by making them blind. We see that as a a little picture of what is to come. But we also see the mercy of God upon his people. Did you know that no matter what you've done, God is so merciful that he will receive you as you are. And that he loves you so much not to let you stay where you currently are. Did you know that God will give you things that you don't deserve? Did you know that you can't be good enough to work to heaven? Or or to work to get to heaven? He's merciful. And I'm going to close with this. Right after Paul talked about all that judgment and eternal destruction and fire. He says this. That when God comes on that day, he will receive glory from his holy people. Praise from all who believe. And this includes you. For you believe what we told you about him. What do you have to do to not go to hell? What do you have to do to escape the eternal destruction? You come to Jesus in faith, not of works. You don't clean your life up and then go to him since you've got it together. No, you come to him in your brokenness. You come to him. He already knows all your mess, so just go ahead and show it to him. God, this is who I am. God, this is what I do. And we come to him in faith, knowing That he died on the cross and rose again to save sinners. And that when we come to him in faith, he receives us. Did you know what he does? He even makes us his child. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that wonderful? And he's a perfect father. Maybe your father's crazy. I don't know most of many of your deaths. Maybe they're crazy. Let me tell you what, the God in heaven who made you, who wants to save you, he's not crazy. He's perfect. And he is wonderful in every single way. So in our passage today, we see judgment. We see, we see judgment on evil. And we see mercy upon Lot. And I tell you that all of this points to the day of the Lord. When final judgment will take place. And when ultimate mercy will be received. Because those of us who belong to God and who know God. Who have had our sins washed away. We are going to see the beauty and the glory and the joy of the presence of Almighty God. And He will accept us into His kingdom. And we will be with Him for all eternity. Y'all, our God is good. And there is something worth celebrating. Let's pray.